That's where I focus my priesthood. That's the foundation of my vocation, God's love for me. Knowing that if I, unworthy as I am, sinful as I am, as weak as I am, could be given the privilege to serve God this way, then everyone has a place in God's table. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. Today on In Good Faith, I'm sitting in a beautiful little church on the western coast of Oregon in the town of Rockaway Beach. It's St. Mary's by the Sea, and I'm speaking with Father Angelo Te, who is the parish priest here, and Father Angelo, also two other congregations. Yes, also a parish priest of Sacred Heart in Tillamook, Oregon, and St. Joseph's in Cloverdale, Oregon. But you are not originally from Oregon. No, I'm not. I, I came to Oregon in 2006, 4th of July, all the way from the Philippines. What was it that brought you here to the States? Well, it's, it's quite a long story. You know, uh, well, first of all, I entered the seminary did my MA in philosophy in the Philippines. I'm what you would call a late vocation. I entered the seminary two years after I graduated from college. So I have a degree in accounting and I worked first and then received the call and I chose to enter the seminary in the Philippines and studied philosophy for two more years. You know, that didn't work out back then. I continued working and a seminarian that I met at that seminary in the Philippines, decided to move to the U.S., actually, to be exact, in Utah. And and that's where he served. And after years of working, just out of the blue, he reached out to me and says, if you're still thinking of priesthood, I want to introduce you to the vocation director of Portland. I met him in the seminary, and I think you should talk it out with him. So out of curiosity, I reached out. He said we could set up a time for interview, but he sent me a packet that I did not open for about a year (laughs) because I wasn't wasn't ready. I was successful. I was working in the corporate world, and I was happy where I was. I didn't want to think about it too much until finally, you know, after a retreat, it was a a wake-up call, you know, that light bulb moment, and all of a sudden I thought about entering the seminary again, thought about priesthood. So then I opened the packet, I filled out the information, sent it to the vocation director back then. And he said, let me call you on the phone. We spoke for two and a half hours. I was in the Philippines then. And he said, well, after this conversation, I'm happy to invite you to come study for the Archdiocese of Portland and see where we go from there. After discernment, I decided to close my eyes, take that leap of faith, so to speak, because I've never been to Oregon. I've been to the U.S., but that was for training for work, but definitely never in the Northwest. I thought, well, I don't know where Oregon is, but I'll take that leap. Hopped on the plane and hoped that on the other side, my vocation director would be meeting me there with a sign up with my name. And he was there (laughs) at the airport. So that's the short version of that. That's how I ended up in Oregon and in the U.S. You bring up a couple of really interesting questions. First, could you just tell me about your family background or growing up with faith? Did you grow up in a religious home, and and do you have early memories of that? 
Oh yes, uh, religious would be quite an understatement. <laughs> uh, I was born to a very devout Catholic family, a cradle Catholic, born and raised. I have four older sisters. I'm the only boy in the family. My dad was a Eucharistic minister in the parish. My mom has been a member of the pastoral council. So I grew up just going to church every Sunday. We sit in the same pew and we pray the rosary as a family. It's like all those good things. You know, I was raised that way. But I was not one of those people where you would just assume, obviously, you came from a devout Catholic family. You wanted to be a priest. No, um, as a young boy, I did because I was fascinated by the the communion host and the, the chalice. But there's nothing more to it than that. So... I didn't really think I had the vocation right from the very beginning, but I love my faith. I love the church. That has always been important to me. I grew up with it. But in terms of priesthood specifically, not right away. It wasn't until two years after I graduated from college. And did you accept growing up just because you were taught that there was such thing as God? You know, this is a very interesting question because you would be surprised when I started questioning in a way or thinking about how real this is. I was in the seminary. Not that I was blindly just practicing my faith, but in the seminary because I started to study theology and I had more exposure to when I did, for example, the clinical pastoral education where I was a chaplain at a hospital for a whole summer. And I see a lot of deaths, bad things happening to good people, things like that. So that started to make me think, where is God in all this and how involved is he and how real is he? But I brought that to my spiritual director. And, and the more I prayed about it, you know, the more it became more clear and concrete that there is a God, no doubt. Especially if when I look back at my life, how I was raised, the journey, and all these wonderful coincidences, as they say, that led me to where I was at that point in my life. I thought it couldn't simply happen by chance. There is a God. And you've talked about, you said, after discernment, which is a word we all know. But not everybody uses it in the same way. You're talking about discernment as a period of seeing what God's will is. Is that correct? That's correct. What do you do in that process of thinking, well, I may have this as a vocation, I may not? How do you pursue that kind of discernment? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, my spiritual director was a big help. Even when I left the seminary after two years of doing philosophy, I kept seeing my spiritual director. It wasn't as often as it should have been, but towards that part, when I was once again considering priesthood, I was meeting with him more. And there was a point when he told me that really struck me because at that point, I was at the height of my career. In such a short period, I became an operations manager. I was running a call center company. So it was, it was exciting. I was living the bachelor life. You know, I was independent. I was on my own. But then I sat down with my spiritual director and he tells me, you know, discernment is choosing between two good things. Not just good and bad. Yes. Yeah, so he, he said, it's choosing between two good things so that when you think of priesthood, it doesn't become a fallback where, oh, my life is falling apart in the corporate world. I'll just become a priest. 
it shouldn't be that way. It's like, well, I haven't had any good relationships with women. I should just become a priest. It shouldn't be that way. He said, it should be choosing between two good things and looking at which one would be greater for you or better for you. So at that point, I thought that was the best time to discern. I had a great job. I was happy. Even my priest friends would say, well, you probably have found your calling. In, in the business world. In the business world. And jokingly, they said, well, just make more money. We'll take care of the souls and you just support us. <laughs> it became that way. And, and I had to say, I thought, well, maybe that was my vocation. But then there was a, a yearning in my heart for something more, more meaning, more direction, or more fulfillment, so to speak. And the more I paid attention to it, the more priesthood made sense. It felt like, well, God has blessed me with such a great career. Now I'm so happy to give back to God, you know, as much as I could. And, and priesthood made perfect sense. So that was the discernment process. And, and of course, it was more solidified when I went on a retreat. It was a silent retreat. I was by myself, had more clarity and more time to really pray and talk to God in terms of where he wants to lead me. So a spiritual director, and by the way, I am reading Henry Nouwen's book, Spiritual Direction, right now. Oh, really? So I'm, I'm just really thinking about the, these terms that you're discussing. That's not necessarily your parish priest. It could be some other person who could serve as a spiritual director. Someone Is it someone just with more life experience? Um, generally, a spiritual director doesn't have to be a priest, first and foremost. In fact, in our seminary back in the Philippines, there were trained lay professionals who were spiritual directors of, of seminarians and even priests like a trained psychologist or psychiatrist with a background of spiritual direction and counseling. So it's not just necessarily life experience, but also a professional background to go with it. There's a science too, to spiritual direction. So all of that taken into context. And of course, definitely a person who is faith-filled, who listens to the word of God and, and allows the Lord to direct them. So, so that's, that's a spiritual director. Do you recall the first time you celebrated Mass? Oh, yes. Yes, like it was yesterday. Because uh, for me, that was the most powerful experience. After my ordination, immediately the next day, I celebrated my first Mass in a parish in Milwaukee, Oregon. And that was where I served as a deacon for a whole year. So naturally, that was where I did my first Mass. And I spent all night preparing for it. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I, when I used to go to Mass, I've memorized every word because I could follow along with the priest. But that time, for some reason, it's like making sure the words are correct and everything was in order. I'm not finding the right pages while doing Mass. I, there was so much pressure. But at the same time, it was the most powerful because finally, you know, when I celebrated that Mass, I know that in our Catholic faith, we consider the Mass as the highest form of worship. Because the bread and wine with transubstantiation, as we say, truly, really substantially become the body and blood of Christ. And that was a very powerful moment for me. It was humbling because I know who I am. You know, my weaknesses, my sinfulness, my background, my imperfection. And here, given the privilege to celebrate Mass and hold the body and blood of Christ and give it to people. 
So that's why I would always remember it, especially because my entire family was there present. And all of the people who have supported me all throughout the years in the seminary and the congregation I've, I've served for a whole year as a deacon. So it, it was a very powerful moment. Is that meaningful for your parents, if they're still living, that you are a priest? It's the most meaningful for them, especially my mom. Because my mom secretly has been praying for me since I was born, that she wants to offer me back to God to be a priest. My dad, not necessarily, because I'm part Chinese. Te is Chinese. And, and Chinese people, especially you know the men, they're meant to carry out the legacy. So the family name should live on. And being the only boy in the family at least from my dad's side, there was that expectation, well, he will carry out the family name. And then I chose to enter the priesthood. But fortunately, my dad, his faith is bigger than his culture or background. So he was happy for me. He, he supported me all throughout. He never said anything until I got ordained. And he said, at first, I wasn't as thrilled, but I see what your life is going to be like now. And I'm so happy that you became a priest. So I had the proudest parents at my ordination day and my first Mass. My dad passed away two years ago. Unfortunately, my, my mom is still alive. I'm wondering if there are particular practices, weekly or daily, are there things that you do that help you feel connected to God or that you are experiencing the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Well, to be very honest, I've always had a good spiritual life, prayer life, but this became more special or meaningful to me during the pandemic because I had more time. We didn't have masses in the parish when everything closed. So I was able to establish a routine. Like the first thing I do when I wake up is do my morning prayer and just be silent. And I do a spiritual reading. My mom, because of her devotion to Mary, she's always encouraged us to pray the rosary every day. So during the pandemic, I was with my family. We pray the rosary every single day. And that has become now my new structure, daily structure in terms of praying, that I I make time to read, to pray the divine office. We priests have the divine office. We call the liturgy of the hours. And so I pray with the Psalms and the readings, and then there are intercessions. So so that's how I, I feel more connected, because in there I would include even personal intentions and personal requests for prayers. I write it down in my phone so that it doesn't become an empty promise where, yes, I'll pray for you, and then don't. Uh, I didn't want to be that person. I was, we were reminded that in the seminary that, you know, guys, when you, when you tell people you're going to pray for them, please say a prayer for them. So by doing that, actually, it has become more concrete and more real for me that, yes, I'm really praying for people, and I'm happy to be able to have the privilege to do that for them. You mentioned prayers and silent time and a silent retreat for listening. How do you perceive direction or answers from God? Is it impressions or a feeling you have or watching circumstances, how they turn out? I would say it's all of the above. When I went to the seminary in the Philippines, it was run by the Jesuits. So I fell in love with Ignatian spirituality. And, and St. Ignatius of Loyola is big on that. How you perceive, what you see, what you feel, like invoking all the senses and just discerning the spirits. So that's part of perceiving because not everything you hear or you think you're hearing comes from God. 
So you need to be able to discern the spirits, meaning is it leading you to be more selfless, to be there more for others? Because, you know, anything that comes from God is never selfish. It's never for the self. It's always for others. And it always challenges you to be better than who you are right now. And it always takes you out of your comfort zone so that it helps you grow. I'm just wondering if you've had chances, if you're comfortable sharing a story of ways you've been able to serve in your congregations here that you pastor. Um, stories. Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> you know, here I don't have a lot to share yet because I just started in July 1st, but I've been a priest for, for 10 years. For me, the most moving or inspiring experiences I've had as a pastor is when you know you're able to touch the life of even at least one person. And then one story in particular was a, a person I met through his wife who came and talked to me. And I was quite surprised because I see him in church every Sunday and he would not come up for communion. So I assume well, he's not Catholic, but he was there, very devout. But I was surprised when he came and talked to me when he shared, you know, Father, I don't even believe in God. I'm just there to support my wife and to show support to my daughters preparing for First Communion. So I was quite surprised by that. But then he said eventually, but I'm here, Father, because now I realize that all this time I thought I've always been independent. I didn't need God. I don't think he exists. I could do things on my own. But every time I wake up and I see the joy in my wife, something that I can't put my finger on, but there is something there. And the more I think about it, it's her faith in God. And the more I look at how our lives are turning out into, the more I believe that there is a God. And so now he says all of a sudden, so now, Father, I'm open. Teach me. Show me. I want to embrace my faith, and I want to be a Catholic. And I journeyed with him for a year through RCIA that we have in the Catholic Church. And it's hard to describe the joy in his face when I finally baptized him on Easter Vigil. And, you know, those moments, that's what you live for. You know, even if, like, of all the challenges that you encounter, of course, it's not, we're not in heaven. It's not walking in the park, you know, or on cloud nine. But, you know, those moments would really allow you to see the face of God and how he is truly at work in people's lives. You mentioned that you would put in your phone when you said you were going to pray for someone, so you really could, which means a lot more than when people say, you'll be in our thoughts and prayers, and then that's it. Yes. Just what they've said is that, is that. Is journaling or writing or it sounds like some sort of meditation is part of your process? Yes. I'm not as consistent with journaling, but yes, I have done it. Once in a while, I actually go back to even... Years ago when I started in the seminary and have gone on retreats as a seminarian and, and read what I have written, there's always new that I see. It even feels like I didn't write them. So that's what makes it very powerful because there were journals that I have written in the moment of prayer, especially after meditation, after meditating on a gospel and I write them out and I read it, it's like it's not even mine. So, so that's when I know how present God is in those moments of praying. For some people, they'll go through a difficult experience, and that's what causes them to question, like, well, I just accepted there was a God, and now I'm wondering. Have you been given any challenges like that since you became a priest? 
um, actually always. There is always that. You know, uh, part of our reality, to be very honest, is that we are a flawed humanity and we deal with our own challenges and trials. And evil doesn't stop, you know, doesn't stop tempting us to sow doubt and division in any community. And that's sometimes the, the challenging part of a priest where you take a lot of time to pray for your congregation. You take a lot of time to prepare a homily that hopefully challenges people to grow. And sometimes, you know, even right after preaching, fresh out of Mass, and it's like it's in one ear and out the other. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's amazing what people are capable of doing, people who claim to have embraced God and their faith. So sometimes... It gets frustrating to a point where in prayer I will tell God, you know, Lord, please do something. <laughs> it's like, uh, snap some sense into them or things like that to be real about it. But, you know, if, if there's one thing I've learned too uh, over the years in the seminary and even praying with the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, uh, a lot of them are in, called Psalms of Lamentations. People were just pouring their heart out to the Lord. And our retreat master back then, I remember to this day, he says, you know, brothers, prayer doesn't have to be pious. It just needs to be honest. And that's when I'm brought back to reality that in times of crisis or trial, when I'm questioning, then I pour my heart out to the Lord. And to be honest with you, there was one moment when recently I was, I was in that moment in prayer. I was asking, like, how much of what I've been saying, Lord, do you actually listen to? You know, it's like nothing is happening. And then I reach out for this book by Matthew Kelly, but it was, it was Words of Wisdom of Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. It's like just a small phrases, short phrases. I open it randomly, and lo and behold, the first thing I read is, God hears you more than you think. And so... I was humbled by that again. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry for questioning your ways, you know? And God's ways are not our ways. That's part of our faith, just in trusting and surrendering to that because he sees the bigger picture. I don't. Is there anything that you for sure would want to say that, that I haven't asked yet, something you would like to be sure and talk about? Well, as I've told you, I have a degree in accounting because originally my plan was to become a CPA lawyer. That's what I have set out to do. But after I graduated from accounting, things didn't go as planned. And I had to move back home because my timeline was, was not what it should have been anymore. Because I wasn't doing as good in college. Because I was like spending more time with friends than school. You know, things like that. I lived that life. And so after that, I had time to go home. And since I didn't grow up in the South where I was born, because I grew up in the city, I didn't have any friends. And the only way I thought to start making friends is, is to join a youth group or something. So I joined Singles for Christ Community. And that's how it all began, you know, with the only motivation of making friends and having people to hang out with. But the Lord was trying to attract me back into serving more. So I became more active in that. We went on a retreat for the Singles for Christ community. And we were told by the retreat master, find a spot where you could be quiet and talk to the Lord. And I thought at that time, no, the Lord doesn't really talk to you. I was skeptical. But I thought, well, I didn't want to be a distraction to the others. So I tried it out. So I sat 
by a tree. I still remember it vividly. We were on a hill and I was by myself and I thought, well, if I talk to God, what would be the first question I would ask him? So I thought, well, my question would be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Or what do you want me to be? And I sat there in silence and all of a sudden, I felt in my heart and mind, the Lord says, Angela, I'm calling you. So I thought, well, that's quite vague. So I said, well, calling me to do what? And the Lord says, I'm calling you to be mine. And I thought, well, it, it was quite a powerful moment because I knew I would never say that to myself. I could never come up with that, <laughs> with that response to that question. So I, that bothered me for a whole week until I woke up one day and thought, you know, I think I want to be a priest. That's how it all started. So my mom was jumping up and down with joy because she didn't think she would hear it from me, that I would finally think of priesthood, and I did. When you're on the retreat and you are praying, which is exercising faith, the fact that you're even praying, were you surprised that you felt or perceived some sort of response? Were you surprised by that? Definitely, because in the first place, I didn't think it was going to work. I just thought, well, I have nothing else to do. Everyone else is trying to do this. Then I'll do this. <laughs> you know? I mean, we didn't have cell phones or anything else. So all we could do is pray and try to talk to God. And that's what I did. And yeah, pleasant surprise. And you mentioned that you knew that it must have come from God because it's not something you would have told yourself. Yes. So that's, that's really interesting that you perceive something and then you have to decide, is this just me thinking or is this... Has this come to me from somewhere else? Yes. That's why it, it took me a week. It kept coming up. Before I go to bed, I kept asking, said, what was that about? <laughs> you know? And what could that be? What does it mean to be told, I'm calling you to be mine? And the more I think about it, the more priesthood keeps coming up. So as soon as I said it over breakfast to my mom, that's when she started the ball rolling. <laughs> you know, I called our priest friend and he helped me with the process. And in fact, it was during the process of applying for the seminary, it felt like another discernment process because all the questions there were quite new to me and I didn't think it through. I felt the desire to become a priest, but I didn't think about every single aspect of priestly life. So even answering the questions were broadening my mind to think more about what this life really is about. Do you have a particular verse or a chapter, something in the New Testament or a particular teaching that is sort of a touchstone for you, like a, a parable or a story of Jesus? Or is there something that's like a favorite story or favorite scripture for you right now? Yeah, I think this is probably a lot of people's favorite story, but it, for me, it's always been the prodigal son. Because I, growing up, I've always felt like I was a black sheep in the family. You know, you have four sisters, and they went to school, they did their homework, they did everything right. But in my case, I was always unpredictable. I was partying, I was hanging out with friends, I was drinking, I was doing all these things growing up. And so I, I never felt worthy. So that was one of those things that kept holding me back to not completely embrace the call in the beginning. And so listening to the story of the prodigal son, especially after a priest explained it further, you know, the, the deeper meaning of it all, I just felt so much more love and what unconditional love looks like. 
the way that applies to me, now I could slowly learn to also forgive myself and allow God to love me completely. That's a really interesting phrase, allow God to love us. And do you find that people, that's, I think that's more common than we think, that sometimes people don't know if they have experienced the love of God, but maybe they are putting up some barrier. Yes, I, I believe that I hear it in the confessional, you know, that people can't quite believe that it's so easy to be forgiven. That's how the devil gets you. Always making you feel like you could not be forgiven completely and you are always unworthy of that love. But, you know, as, as we know, God loved us first. And love does not come with conditions in its pure form. Love does not come with conditions. It is not merited. It is freely given. The story of the prodigal son allows me to understand that better and to really accept that completely. And, and I can't emphasize that enough to people in confession and, and people who come to church. For them to focus more than anything on God's love. Because that's what heals. That's what unites. That's what brings us together. It's not the shame and the fire and brimstone. Like if you don't shape up, you're going to hell. You know, it, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And really, if you look at the gospel, it's a gospel of love. Yeah, especially when the honey is the truth. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's where I focus my priesthood. That's the foundation of my vocation. God's love for me. Knowing that if I, unworthy as I am, sinful as I, as I am, as weak as I am, could be given the privilege to serve God this way, then everyone has a place in God's table. Father Angelo Te is the parish priest for three different churches here, including the one we're sitting in right now for this interview, St. Mary's by the Sea in Rockaway Beach, Oregon. Father Angelo, thank you so much for speaking with me today in good faith. Thank you so much for, for giving me the opportunity to share my journey and my faith. That's our time for today. Thanks to Father Angelo Te for generously sharing his faith and his stories, and to Doris Matthews for helping arrange the interview. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith@byu.edu. And if you enjoy the show, be sure you leave a comment or a review where you get your podcasts. Help spread the word. All of our episodes are online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Our Twitter feed is at ingoodfaithbyu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon right here in Good Faith.